Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. We have what I think is going to be a great show today. We have a special guest on the podcast. And Robbie, why don't you give us a cheers and give us an introduction? Let's do a cheers to be embarrassing to Joe Lanza, who's been a friend of the podcast for a while. We've always been big fans of DK key play and i think it would be perfect uh since he's on today we'll do a cheers to him and all the work that he and french and alex everybody does during the off season to get us prepped up for the season i spend a lot of time on there and i can think of no better way for us to kick things off during the fun off season and get ready for hokey football than giving him a cheers how's that i like it man cheers thank you you're obviously welcome Excuse me. We have some news and notes that came out this week. Nothing too crazy is going on. The coaches poll, though, came out what I consider to be way too early, but it's already out, and Virginia Tech came in at number 22, which I was pleasantly surprised about. West Virginia came in at 20, our opening week opponent, and the rest of the ACC, we had Clemson at 5, FSU was 3, and then Louisville and Miami were 17 and 18, respectively. So good number of ACC teams in the top 25. Um, to round out your top five, it was Bama 1, OSU 2, FSU 3, USC 4, and Clemson 5. Uh, I don't know if you guys had any reaction to that number 22 ranking. I think it's about right. I think that West Virginia, with how much they lost, is a little high, but I'm very happy they're ahead of us. I'm kind of surprised we're ranked that high. To be quite honest, I thought, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I could make the argument that Tech probably shouldn't be ranked at all, or you could make the argument that they should be ranked. But I think losing Gerard Evans, Isaiah Ford, and Bucky Hodges on offense, that's a lot of production to replace. And without any running game to speak of last year, and not much changing on the offensive line except losing a couple starters and not getting in a stud tailback, um, I think the ranking's pretty bullish based on what Virginia Tech did at the end of last season. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it the only signal that it gives me is that there's a lot of people out there that are pretty confident in in Fuente and Cornelson. That's uh, that's the only thing that it signals to me that they think that we can reload and they can put together an offense. But we'll get into that a little bit later, which is the exciting part of what's going to happen this year and I think it's going to be very telling for what's to come in the future uh of of this year and what they're dealing with. So, I, I will I will say that if this was a preseason ranking like five years ago or six years ago, I think I probably would have said, oh, this is spot on because we all know that Virginia Tech at that time would have had pretty much a trash offense anyways and a really good defense. And I don't want to um, not take a, not take a second to acknowledge the fact that I think the defense could be pretty special this year. So like if this were a Virginia Tech team with you know Frank Beamer at the helm and not known for their offensive prowess, you look at the defense coming back and say, you know, wow. Uh, about the first team there's some depth issues on the on the second team and going down but I mean those the starting 11 on the defenses matches up really good so that that could be a lot of the reason for the ranking so the next thing I had was Caleb Farley our incoming freshman he was here in spring and wowed everyone in the spring game when he moved to wide receiver He's now out for the season with a knee injury it was a non-contact thing and what I think was the first practice very disappointing. The reaction on Twitter and 
the key play and everywhere else was just that everyone wanted to see him play so badly. Uh, it's it's a shame for a guy who were, came in based on his speed that we were excited about. I'm extremely disappointed in this. Yeah, I think we'll keep that one for the topics that we're going to hit because that's probably the biggest news and note that uh, that's not even a news and note. That's a, a whole discussion topic of one of the key positions that we're going to have to fill this year for the team to be yeah. even quarter <laughs> halfway successful. Let's put it well, that way. We'll get into the wide receivers a little bit later. That's a good point. Um, I also had Sam Rogers is getting a lot of recognition for his work in Rams training camp. Apparently he's the first person on the field every day, um, which I think is kind of funny, but makes a lot of sense. A lot of people thought it was a kind of a joke. The kid was a walk on and found a way to make it onto the Rams. That's kind of, you know, something that you'd like to see. And he's obviously at, at first, I think some people thought it was just kind of a gimmick. Then a lot of people recognized that regardless of whether it was a gimmick or was real, he kind of was relatively talented because he worked his butt off. And now it just seems that he wants to out hustle people to try and make some money. So I actually appreciate that because, you know, he's getting he's getting recognition and I just want to see him make some money because he's a Virginia Tech grad and I'm happy for him. That's about it for me. Yeah, I think I think Sam Rogers being the first out to practice every day is like the first step in like the Sam Rogers thing. Um, if you take a look at it, it's like the first thing he's going to do is like be first out to practice. He's in that. People are starting to realize in the NFL he's like gritty, hardworking type of NFL player, first out to practice. The next thing that's going to happen is like the Rams coaches are going to be like, wow, we got this Sam Rogers kid. We really, you know, you guys might not be paying attention to this kid, but this this kid's really working out here. And then at some point he's going to make some plays and then fans are going to be like, oh, wow, this Sam Rogers guy actually can catch and run and block and do a bunch of different things. And then you will have a complete uh, Sam Rogers inning of the NFL. This is This is just the start of of it you know him being out to practice first that's the first step yeah first step was rudy and then it was sam rogers that's yes. we're going down the rudy yeah there'll be a story about him someday even though he was off he was off sides I, I actually think if sam rogers was offered a scholarship out of high school he it wouldn't he would have just rejected it out of anyways because it just would have not fit the narrative of sam rogers like he would have been he would have just said no thank you i have to go out and really earn this thing as a walk-on first and then and then I will take the scholarship. No, but we're gonna pay for all your room and board, everything that all your food. No, no, I can't I'm not take do, that. I'm not doing that. Also, in turn, like Robbie said, the thing about making money, like he's gonna make himself some money, and he might very well do that. But I don't think Sam is even can process anything beyond I want to play football. Like I want to be out on the field first because I love football the most, and that's all I want to do all the time. Like that's that's all he wants to do. That's all his brain works on. So like, yeah, he's gonna make some money, like NFL salary, rookie minimum, whatever it may be. But even if he makes more and more money, the only thing that kid wants to do is play football and like hit people. And I, well, let's say that Sam Rogers signs like a multi-million dollar contract in a couple of years, right? What would you guys think would be the most like opulent purchase that sam rogers would make that would go with his character because i struggle to envision him buying anything cool at all like i can't see him driving like a mercedes or buying a big house a like crossbow he, yes exactly that is it Pete. <laughs> no that would be or it. i think he would go back and buy like a helmet signed by frank beamer like he would like he would go back even though he could have gotten one he would go back and purchase it for like the good of like an elementary school like somewhere and you're like 
damn, I hate you because that is such a perfect thing to do. I, I think a crossbow is actually pretty spot on. <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine him, like, I couldn't imagine him buying, like, a really nice car, but I could see him buying, like, a $20,000 crossbow. <laughs> you wouldn't exactly. even think that such a thing is yeah. even produced, but I could see that. Yeah, him and Michael Brewer <laughs> just in the woods. Shoot, <laughs> see, <laughs> shooting the shit out of some deer with a really big-ass crossbow. <laughs> All right, we got to get moving here. We All haven't right. even we haven't even hit the the, the topics for the day, can and we, it's already getting as good as I thought it would be. Can we do a brief basketball uh, turn off the main path? Uh, I wanted to talk about the tie law tie outlaw injury. He was done for the season ACL, and this is just another step in our basketball injury luck that seems to keep coming up. Uh, we needed tie outlaw shooting this year. It's going to be missing. I'm not saying that the new guys coming in can't maybe replace it and and everyone taking a step forward. The team's going to be good regardless of having Outlaw or not. But his shooting down the stretch made a giant difference in our season. Yeah, we uh, they. I remember we were talking. I think it was I shot you a note. I think it was Pete three four years ago when we were talking in the the old. Scott days of being snake bit and having a tough run on the <laughs> on the football team, the basketball team hasn't really caught a break. It, you know, we the injuries just keep kind of piling up every season, and they're not to the point that we can't come back and put together a team. But this one was really sad because of what what Ty did at the end of the season. I remember telling people at UVA fans and things like that what his I think at one point he was like 60% at like three point on like some outrageous number of shots. And he was so influential to how the team performed at the end of the year and really kind of made up for what we were lacking a lot of positions. And, and then he goes out. I can't imagine how frustrated he has to be, but it's a big ding to the, to the team this year. Yeah. I'm pretty disappointed that I won't get to watch Trey outlaw just, crushed some threes this year that was it was pretty cool just to see him come on down the stretch and I think he was a big reason why uh Tech and Buzzcaball ended up going dancing he was clutched uh if I could pivot a minute to another Buzzcaball topic can we talk about Buzz Williams with hair please because I I noticed that (laughs) this is one of the most disturbing things ever Um, I didn't like it I didn't like it (laughs) yeah I have you know as someone who is you know shedding some of his hair I can't critique buzz too much but it looks really awkward i feel like he hasn't had hair for so long he doesn't know how to comb it properly or what style to style it in right now it looks like he's putting the comb into the side of his head and then just really going over the top with it and that's it and i feel like it could be a lot more with what he's doing and it, it i'm wondering you know i'm i'm yeah, well, a little bit nervous it is, that it might affect Tech's recruiting if they, you know, it's a little off kilter there with that hair. So I don't know. It's tough. The transition is tough. Anyone who's tried to grow their hair out from one stage to get to another, that period of time, it's a difficult time. Not true. And, Jimbo Fisher. All of a sudden, Jimbo Fisher Jim, has like a lawn on the top of his head, and oh, it's amazing. Jimbo Fisher had an elite hair transformation. <laughs> he really game planned for that. That was. That was Jimbo Fisher channeling his coordinator days for how to He's really He's an exception from, to the rule. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like Buzz just grew the hair back, and he doesn't know what to do with it. Like, it's just there, and he's like, yeah, I got some hair now. I'm going to do something with it. I don't know if that's going to be his look for the season, but every time I see a photo of him uh, on on Twitter or Instagram, which he's pushing now, getting Instagram, his Instagram up and everything, 
there's a lot more of him and i'm just like this this looks it's just it's awkward still a very well, good looking man just awkward the the, the look at i wonder if that'll be the final look for the season or i wonder if he's going to test a few more things out we were seeing a lot of those pictures of his new hairstyle at the first decade reunion that he just had in Blacksburg, yes. which I thought was really freaking cool. You have Jimmy Butler and Jay Crowder and a bunch of other former uh, NBA and overseas players that coaches uh, that Buzz has coached on Virginia Tech's campus shooting in our gym. That is so cool. And I'm assuming prospective recruits or current players got to at least see and hang with those guys. That is one of the coolest things I've seen. I know Jimmy Butler made a trip there last off season um, and took a picture with all the guys and got to talk to him. But how cool is that? I think it. a lot of people pass it off as gimmicky, and I don't think it's gimmicky for him. I think it's, it's the same way that a lot of people question Dabo, and look what he did. He literally stuffed everybody in a locker because everybody made fun of how excited he was, how emotional he was everything that he was about the program and he literally stuffed Alabama in a locker and that you don't do that with Nick Saban ever. And I think buzz is not, I'm not saying that they're on the same level in terms of basketball and football, but he honestly believes it. And I think a lot of the players buy into it too. Like a lot of them are into the religious aspect of things. I'm not particularly, but I don't, I don't care. I'm into whatever they like to do. I think they buy into his system. I think that's what he did at Marquette. I think that's how he built that system so quickly and turned them into something like that. Really, if he did it there and he did it at Virginia Tech, that would be remarkable for for some a coach to go to two different places that weren't really on the map and then put them on the map that quickly. And I think he honestly believes it. Yeah, I would say that given Nick Saban's about four feet tall, he's probably been stuffed in a locker one to two times <laughs> in his life. I and as a as someone who played football, I guarantee he's been in a locker. Yeah, but, I thought we put you in a dumpster. Yeah, but, I got out. But uh, yeah, from from the from the Buzz recruiting event, I just called it a recruiting event, even though it wasn't, but it was. I mean, that's just total genius on his part. I feel like Buzz is like one of these guys where it's like as a as someone third party and who has never, you know, met him or really interacted with him at length. I feel like his social media presence projects something that is either that is so that's that's seemingly so real that it almost comes off as like phony, but it's not because I don't think you would get your former players flying in from all over the world to Blacksburg, Virginia in the middle of the summer to spend like a weekend, you know, with you if you were anything but with real with people. So I feel like it was just a brilliant I, i'm pretty sure they had a few recruits on campus come in for visits and i feel like it was just like one of those things that buzz does that you're like wow this guy really gets it like he understands the culture you know how to really treat people with respect and treat people like how you want to be treated and he it's a way to endear yourself uh endear yourself to people and your players and it i think it it'll show with with players he's trying to sign and with his current teammates that you know if you if you if you do what you can, you know, for the team, I'm going to do what I can for you. And maybe even not if you do what you can with the team. I wonder if, I almost wonder if there's guys who maybe he's, uh, I think buzzsaw is the term where he kind of, you know, attrition's players, if he's still in their corner, uh, for them. And I wouldn't be surprised if he is. I think he, I think he, I think he has a very, uh, strong relationship with all his former players. And, and it's pretty kind of cool to see. I wish there was some more, uh, 
I wish there was actually some media coverage of it, like a, to, to understand more about it, to, to kind of see, you know, to, to get more of a feel for it. But just from what he shared, it seems like a really was a really well fought and really cool event. I do think that Buzz cares a lot for his players. I, we, like you said, I don't think we get to see that. I don't think it's necessarily covered in a way that we're going to be able to see it. But I do think that he cares a lot. I don't always get what Buzz does, the method behind the madness and inspirational quotes and all the emojis that he's using. I know like he's relating to the younger kids and stuff. I don't get it all, but whatever he's doing, it seems to work. And the coordination that had to take place to get NBA all-stars and stuff on our campus had to be extensive and really hard to put together. So big shout out to the staff and buzz and everyone that had anything to do with that because it was one of the coolest things I've seen and buzz's family being there. Like he preaches family and he practices what he preached. So like it it was, it was really cool. Last note I had with regards to basketball was the new castle floor. There was pictures coming out uh, again and again. It wasn't done yet. They were putting hokey stone down around the baseline and around the sideline, and it looked kind of weird, and people were making fun of it. Chris Long, uh, noted NFL player, uh, went to UVA, was making fun of it on Twitter and a bunch of other people. And when it was all said and done, I thought the floor actually looks pretty good. Yeah, it was... First of all, it's a non-story as much as it was a story. I just wanted to punch people in the face honestly on the on it was just like everybody was judging it and one of the people that we know pretty well that was watching it come along was saying you know as a graphic artist it's going to end up looking good at the end and it ended up looking pretty good it may not be the best floor that you've ever seen and people just spiraling out of control other teams commenting on it other fans commenting on it it was absolutely the most off-season ridiculousness ever. And I thought at the end, it may not be the coolest that I've ever seen, but I thought it came out really well. And But it evidently became a story because people wouldn't shut up about it. I uh, Yeah, I before Chris Long made his comments, when I saw it, I, I basically yelled out loud, like, what is this? What are they building? Like a fucking Mario level in here. It looked like a Mario Brother <laughs> thing to me, too. Um, I think the final product looks pretty good. It's uh, it might. I think it, the only thing is it's probably just a little too busy. If they had just done uh, one building in the, you know, if they just did Burris, it would have I think looked a lot better. I think with the other bill, I think like Torgerson's on there in another building. I think it's just a little too crowded. But you know, give them credit again. You know, Buzz and the program for trying something different, trying to, you know, m- make Blacksburg a little bit more of a special place. Uh, for basketball and a little more unique i don't think they're going to get everything you know right but it's cool to see them trying and i'm sure they'll you know i'm sure they will uh, adjust and adapt uh moving forward yeah i'm with you on that i think just burris or just the hooky stone would have been enough but i'm not mad about it i think it looks kind of cool it's different it's unique and i like you said it adds a little something to the program so i'm with it we're now going to go into our preseason football type stuff and just random stuff. We're going to cover a variety of topics today. Uh, since Joe's here, we want to get his thoughts on just the team this year and recruiting and all kinds of other stuff, but we're going to do some fun stuff too. I guess I want to start in a place that 
I particularly am interested in, and that's the the training staff, the weight training staff, the videos, and um, I should say the before and after pictures we've been seeing of the guys, and what Ben Hilgert, our new training coach, has been doing with these guys. It seems amazing. The before and afters of Edmonds, and it goes down the line. I mean, Dalton, these guys are getting Dalton huge. Is Dalton Keene has been on campus Hulk. for what? A couple months, and he's put on 17 pounds of muscle and looks like a 35-year-old man. It's, it's amazing. Um, I just wonder how much the new strength training staff has had an effect on our program not just Fuente, but them in particular, and like the health of the players and everything else, and how important it is. And I don't want to knock Mike Gentry and all the work he did for so long with Tech. I mean, he helped bring us from nothing to something. But, you know, styles change, uh, training regimens change, and we might have needed some new blood. And I think it's had a big effect on the program. Yeah, I think we're going to find out uh, the more Fuente's uh recruits and signees get in the program how they can transition to their body i think it's pretty important right now to get these freshmen bigger faster stronger just because there's a lot of gaps on the depth chart for them to fill i think dalton keen putting on those you know 17 pounds and looking like a you know like a junior already is a really positive thing because he's going to be expected to play you know he was expected to play before he did all that and now it's like, okay, well, this this kid really got himself ready to play in the ACC this season. Like, he he's a starter, you know, based on his body type and what he can do and his versatility. Um, I think a big thing I'm looking for is how he develops the offensive linemen. Uh, the, the offensive linemen that, that Tech has signed, I mean, it's, you know, only one real class under Fuente's belt. He's working on a second one right now, his second full one. They haven't gone out and landed a bunch of four- and five-star offensive line products. And they've landed a lot of, uh, you know, things, kids to build on, build with, you know, clay to mold. They have, some kids have, you know, a good combination of good feet or, you know, good good drive or good leverage. Uh, but they really aren't, you know, these mauler type players that, you know, would, would might get you a, a blue chip type ranking. But if Hilgart can, you know, develop their bodies into, you know, in, into these these more stalwart linemen, I think that would be a very good asset. So that's what I'm looking for to see if he can get some of these young linemen to play, not necessarily this year, unless there's an injury, but I think next season will be very important. Yeah. And I think that's, that's going to be an interesting transition. I think also what he can do to build up the wide receivers to put some muscle mass on them, because right now we're, and we'll get into this in a second, probably with Caleb, we're thin there and we've got to make sure that those guys are ready to take pretty hard shots down downfield or wherever the case may be. So, and we are not exactly the most experienced, I guess, wide receivers on our team outside of, you know, the, the names, I guess Murphy probably had what nine snaps on like a jet sweeps, like <laughs> last year. Yeah. Like when you get to like the, the third best wide receiver, CJ Carroll is not a big guy. You go down the line, I guess we'll end up seeing what happens, but I want to make sure those guys have a little bit of muscle mass on them because last thing we need is another injury or two. And all of a sudden we're in even more dire straits on the wide receiver position. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the wide receiver since we're already there because of the Caleb Farley injury, which 
like I already said, was extremely disappointing. Fortunately, we have a lot of guys that can step up. It's just that no one has experience. I mean, we have C.J. Carroll. That's our, our second most experienced wide receiver. And then, like you said, Murphy, maybe nine snaps, a couple catches. I don't really know. <laughs> if um, but it's, you know, it's Kuma and Pimpleton and Patterson, and, uh, the transfer from Ohio State, Clark. Denmark. Denmark, Savoy, Grimsley, and then there's Hairston, Daniel, and Jefferson. Those are just guys on the roster. I'm, I'm reading the names off. I don't even know who they are. Um, <laughs> I think one of them had a catch against UVA. Anyway. <laughs> there's a lot of bodies. There's a lot of bodies. but Like they I, always say, there's a lot of talent, but there's zero, zero experience, yeah. basically. Well, Kuma, in terms of being a bigger guy, he is enormous. I've heard really, really good things about him. We were all hearing about him in spring. And then, unfortunately, he got hurt before the spring game. And maybe that was part of the reason they swapped Caleb Farley from cornerback over to wide receiver in the last few days of camp in the spring. But uh, I like what Kuma could potentially do. Um, I, I think he's going to be a stud for us. Pimpleton, they're saying, is, is going to be in our slot. And him and Carroll will probably both play that role. I think that uh, I'm hoping – he will also live up. I mean, we're talking about a guy who just got to campus in January. I mean, he should have just had his prom, and now he's going to be our potentially our second leading receiver. It, it's kind of nuts. Um, and somehow, I still think this offense is going to be kind of good. I'd be interested to hear what Joe has to say, just because of how you know how much experience we lack at wide receiver. Yeah, the wide receiver depth is uh, it's it's unknown. They're like. Like I chimed in and said, there's bodies there that were, you know, mid to high three-star players. I think, I don't know if there was, I think Cam was a four-star player by one service, but there's no uh, blue chip wide receivers in the coffers there. Uh, But I mean, it's on the coaches to coach them up at this point. And uh, I think one thing, I'm actually pretty excited to see Pimpleton to get on a little bit of a a tangent there. I think he's just going to be one of those players that, uh, you know, Fuente offered him so early before anyone, you know, he's, he's outside the footprint in Michigan. Fuente, I think Virginia Tech was his first, might even been his first 1A offer, definitely the first Power 5 offer. So Fuente must have saw something that he liked in this kid before anyone else. So those are the type of players I personally get excited about because, you know, he was totally an unranked player, you know, but, but Fuente identified that kid and liked him and offered him. I so that indicates to me that I think he can have a really special role in this offense. Um, and if he's a bust, then it's kind of like, well, you know, Fuente's evaluation kind of takes a little bit of a hit there. Uh, as far as the wide receiver depth goes, I don't know what they're what what they're going to do. It's you know they're either going to identify players or they're going to adapt the offense. Um, and that's the thing that I I wouldn't put past Fuente is like we saw Tech last year and mostly like a three wide receiver. Uh, H-back, you know, look with Rodgers, uh, single back. I don't know if that's what they'll do this year. I mean, Fuente could just say, shit, we don't have, you know, the receivers to do this offense, and I'm going to come out with this, and we're going to really adapt things. I mean, they have A.J. Bush, who's, you know, totally could run a much more option-heavy uh, offense where they take some of the stress off the receivers. They could use, you know, Dalton Keene a bunch more in the passing game. Chris Cunningham could be used in the passing game. Uh, Drake DeCilius was another early enrollee uh, tight end. They could use him in a passing game. Um, I think that's the nice thing that Fuente brings to the table is I think he understands to – he said this a bunch of times last year, I like to adapt to my talent. 
And if he doesn't have all of his talent there, we could see an offense that maybe looks different than what it did last year because I don't think last year's offense was what he wants or what he envisions Virginia Tech's offense to look like in the future. Yeah, I think and to build on that and where I was going to end up on this whole thing, if Fuente and you know Cornelson, the offensive staff, figure out a way to make it work this year, that's extremely dangerous for every other team in the ACC or otherwise moving forward because you have, especially after the latest loss, if you have that many unknowns and that, that much kind of not red shirt, but very junior talent, and they figure out a way to put together another decent offense this year, which last year was an amazing offense, but he walked into having three, three people that could be on the receiver side that, you know, Virginia Tech hasn't had in a long time, except for one of them returning this year. If they manage to actually put together an offense this year, that is extremely impressive because there's no knowns on running back. There's no knowns on wide receiver except for one. You know, if, if Fuente can put together an offense this year, that means a lot two years from now, next year, whatever the case may be. If Fuente can do this with this team, you're right. We have nothing to worry about offensively ever again because he's got what's going to be a redshirt freshman or a freshman quarterback and all you know redshirt freshman or freshman wide receivers except for Cam Phillips. So you know if he can work his magic with this, you know we we won't have anything to worry about for a long, long time. It'll be interesting to see what they use Cam Phillips for, too, if he's going to move outside or if he's still going to play in this slot. And that's one thing I'm interested in seeing, if they can develop. If Kuma and, Kuma and Patterson, I think, are probably the two or two bigger body, or if not the two biggest body receivers that they have. Yeah. Those guys could play outside, and then you can keep Cam in the slot. Um, that would be That would be huge for their prospects. All right, I think it's time we take a quick beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I think I may have had this on the podcast before, but it's the unfiltered version of Firestone Walker's Leo versus uh, Ursus. It's good. It's an IPA, double IPA. It's out of California, which is a big surprise for everybody. I think it's um, somewhere around Paso Robles, if I can pronounce uh, any of my uh, your pronunciations Spanish. are always so good. <laughs> I know. I just make them up as I go. Like whether it's you know, it can be Spanish, Italian. I'll just kind of go with it. Uh, uh, I'm Irish, so guess what? It's pretty easy to do all my words. <laughs> so it's pretty good. I like it. It's unfiltered, and it's a beer I think I've had on the podcast that wasn't an unfiltered version. And it's delicious. It's a special edition, only out for, I think, a few months, and I like it. All right, Joe, what are you drinking? Ooh, this is a special edition. It's the Blue Ribbon winner. It's been in production since 1844. Pabst Blue Ribbon, 16 fluid ounces. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) This is getting getting good. I mean... The longer you listen to the podcast, the funnier it gets every time that you come on here and you preview. Just listen listen to it. Say hello to everyone out there. Hang on. Oh. oh. <laughs> That's the good stuff right there. I am, you, peep? I'm drinking the Beer Hates Astronauts by Half Acre. Half Acre is out of Chicago. 
Beer Hates Astronauts is a very well-regarded IPA that they produce. I happen to get my hands on it today. Uh, I was excited about it. 7.5% alcohol and even across the board. Just if you are looking for a strong IPA, this is what you're looking for. Beer Hates Astronauts by Half Acre. The can artwork is awesome. They do like a comic book theme. They've done a lot of different stuff over the years. But this is this is a great beer. And I tried to get to Half Acre when I went out for the Notre Dame game. And uh, we ended up at Goose Island. Half Acre's also in the city. If you're out in Chicago, try to check them out. It's a good brewery. Okay. I want to talk up to Joe about recruiting real quick. Me and Robbie have talked about this in the past and how we we're going to have to be patient with Fuente and getting his pipelines up and running. And, of course, we kept Bud on staff, and so that helps with some of that. But we were all a little disappointed in his first year of recruiting when we got Gerard Evans, but after that there were some guys we thought we'd flip and we didn't. Last year we had an incredible January, and then we might have fizzled towards the end just just a little bit, uh, but it's still a strong, strong class. This year it's shaping up really well, and I'm wondering – if Joe, you feel the same that we, way that we do, is that is the momentum heading in the right direction? Do you think that we are going to get to the point where we're pulling in top twenty, top fifteen classes year after year? Uh, I think they'll eventually get there. Yeah, I think top twenty is is kind of a low bar for what Virginia Tech recruiting should be. I think the ceiling might be within spitting distance of the top ten, maybe a top ten class. But I think top 20 is where they should be. I'm not sure if they're going to get there this year because there's Virginia talents really down this year and they've had to look elsewhere. Um, it really depends on how they close with the North Carolina targets. I think it was really, really very solid when they got Trey Turner so early in the cycle and then they added, by virtue of that, DJ Crossan and Alan Tisdale. You know, Turner is like a top. 150 player he's a, a blue chip wide receiver that's a great get uh crossing and tisdale uh i think tisdale was a four-star linebacker at one point he dropped in one of the services so now he's a high high three-star but i think both him and crossing have the potential to be you know contributors and and starters in the acc down the road um you know if virginia tech goes out and they eventually sign dax holyfield uh, maybe Alan McNeil, the four-star defensive tackle that I believe the Hokies were the first to offer out of North Carolina. And uh, if they somehow close on uh, five-star defensive end KJ Henry, then you really talk about the yeah. momentum building. Like that would really, if they get, if you know, if they get KJ Henry, that would be the statement in the class. Like I think everyone, I think most recruitniks kind of feel like Dax Holofield is is text to lose at this point. Like they were on him really early. They've very been very very consistent in his top group uh they recruited him very hard um i think kind of the i think i think the offensive line recruiting is uh worrisome to put it mildly i don't know what's really going on there i think they should probably offer more prospects and they should probably do a better job closing on prospects but for where we're at right now it's kind of like you got to give them the benefit of the doubt and give them a little more time to work with. I mean, they've only been on campus, you know, for how many months it's, you know, it's not like they're, this is year five there. So I think vice, the offensive line coach, um, 
you know, he still gets a benefit of doubt for right now. But if the 2019 class comes around and Tech is still really coming up short with their offensive line recruits, then it's it might be time to sound the alarm. I thought the Jordan McFadden pickup on the offensive line was huge. And recently, he just got a Clemson offer. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. He's a South Carolina kid. Uh, I do think the offensive line recruiting will come along with everything else. But you win it in the trenches, right? So you need to recruit the defensive line. You need to recruit the offensive line. And for us, offensive line has been such a position of angst. It hasn't even been that bad the last couple of years, but it was, and the recruiting reached such a bad point that, yeah, it's on all of our minds. It's in the forefront of our minds. We want that big offensive line recruit. And guys like Colt Pettit, you know, they they end up switching to tight end, and then we lost, uh, what was it, Austin Clark. Like, he left the program, and he was one of our best recruits we've ever had at offensive line. So it's on the top of our minds, but – in general, I still think we're recruiting the defense well. I still think we're getting some offensive skill talent. And we have the quarterbacks. And that's coming with Fuente as well. So I think we're on the right track. Yeah, I think this has been the most offensive talent that they've recruited in a long-ass time. I mean, I'm Fuente is doing a great job bringing in quarterbacks and skill players. There's no doubt about that. And that was sorely missing. I think running back is like the one... Uh, bugaboo right now for the staff they haven't been able to land an elite running back I think uh, Jalen Holson's a really good back he could be good in this offense I think Deshaun McLeese who they didn't sign could be really good in this offense but uh, it looks like they're going to miss out on Ricky Slade Uh, they missed out on that uh, kid who went to FSU from the 757 last year Cam Akers uh uh not not oh uh, yeah 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 i know who you're talking about. the lamb the lambo we'll just call him the lambo I, I don't remember his name but i remember he committed in a, committed driving in the lambo yeah. um i think devin ford in 2019 will be a really good you know barometer uh if they can get an elite running back that would be uh something that would be a good feather in their cap i do think to your point about um a couple points uh with jordan mcfadden yeah, that was a really good. I, I thought McFadden and uh, John Harris were actually two really good commitments. It's just they probably needed five really good commitments, and I don't see how they get there. Um, with McFadden specifically, I spoke to him, but more importantly, I spoke to his high school coach, you know, who really extolled the virtues of his uh, athleticism. I mean, he basically said he's like a, you know, a 6'6, almost 300 pound guy that can dunk a basketball. And you're like, okay, well, that's probably pretty, that's someone pretty athletic. Yeah. Uh, it will be, to your point, to see if they can fend off Clemson. That'll be a good indicator of what Vice and Fuente can do uh, recruiting. If he flips immediately or if he flips before signing day, then you got to say, like, okay, well, you know, Tech showed him the most love. They got him to commit and then they, you know, lost him. And it's tough to lose a kid. They're going to lose him to an in state program and yada, yada, yada. But they're still going to, if they lose him, they lose him. So that'll really, that'll speak some volumes. And then to your point about Austin Clark, you know, he was a four-star kid and he was a total bust. And uh, I think the highest rated of uh, the Fab Four uh, recruits uh, was the kid from uh, New Jersey, uh, Billy Ray. Yeah. And he's, he's not playing football anymore. He's injured. You know, he had an in- just a career-ending injury, which, you know, we're not, I'm not going to knock him for that. But he wasn't projected to play before that injury. So I think the point being is offensive line recruiting is so damn uncertain that you got to take more than, you know, three kids a class. You got to really be taking five kids per class and just, and that's 
you know, has to be the mindset for at a minimum. Yeah. And just, and just, you know, see how they develop because it's a total developmental position, but you can only develop what you have. No one's going to transition Khalil Pimpleton into a, a right tackle in the ACC. That's just not how it works. You have to get big bodies in your program. And it's really tough because there's so few human beings that have the skill set of a six, four to six, six, 300 pound person. That's athletic. It's just not in the gene pool. Uh, so you got to take, I, I I'm fine with them taking flyer offers on players. Like I think uh, TJ Jackson was a totally off the radar kid. That's fine. If he comes in, either he cuts it and he doesn't, and then you move on. But you got to bring those kids in. Yeah, and we had Dimitri Moore and Silas Zansi. Like, we've been trying every which way to get the bigger tackle types into the program. And hopefully some of them pan out. We'll just have to see. I I think, personally, that the offensive line will be one of the best we've had this year. I know they struggled in spring and French went over it in depth and the problems with Gallo at center and that kind of thing. I just think it's going to, when it, when everyone's healthy and Osterlaw is fully back, which he should be now, I know Faf has been playing a little right guard. Maybe Osterlaw ends up a tackle. We got TJ Jackson. Right tackle. There's a lot of guys that are, that are all meshing in. I just think when it's all said and done, this offensive line is going to be good. The left side is already going to be so good. I mean, Yosh is just getting bigger and stronger every day. Wyatt Teller is a monster. Um, if Gallo can just snap the football to whoever's catching it at quarterback, we're going to be all right, I think, on the offensive line. I think the left side of the line is going to be fine. I'm still very anxious about the right side. The right side just it's unproven. I think the question is whether I think we're going to be playing against our weakness, right? And, and that's the difference is, I mean – at Memphis, and if you go back to TCU, it's there was good offensive line play at those schools. There was not great offensive line plays at those schools, and that that I think is where Fuente he excels is figuring out like, man, we really suck here. Like we have to, and and that's what the whole thing. It's it's playing against your weaknesses it's not letting you know people are going to know what your weakness is they're gonna they're gonna go all right well you know the right side's weak and i'll be very surprised if they because they come into this season without they have we have one surprise farley right now is out that's our one surprise they're coming in with about six months of you know heads up that guess what we're we have an inexperienced receiving core. We don't really have anybody at running back, and they've spent their entire offseason figuring out how the hell are we going to build an off- offense around this. Like, And they did it last year. They had well more talent. We all know that. If they do it this year, that's my point, is if you look at 2018, 19, 20, if they can put an offense together this year, holy shit, that's frightening for every other team in the ACC. Not only that, but I'm sorry, Joe, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you go ahead. It's more about the defense is going to be so good this year. To me, it's going to be so good. It's going to be top 15 at the least. And if you can put an offense together with this defense, like Joe was saying, going back to the old Virginia Tech days, like look out. Like it could be incredible. And I think it's possible. And I'm not talking about like a top like 10 team. I'm talking about where they should be. Yeah. Round twenty-five to twenty, they could achieve to is where if 
if they figure out how to put an offense together under this, you know, what they have. Yeah, I mean, to circle back on my point on offensive line recruiting, my whole thing is just take more bodies. It's just a position where the success rate is the lowest success rate across the board. So in order to get more successful products at the end, you have to take more. It's just statistics and numbers. If your expected value of getting a good offensive lineman is, you know, let's just call it 20%, then you should probably take five a cycle. um, So you're at least getting one, right? Um, I think another point is, um, Virginia doesn't really produce a ton of offensive line talent. I don't think there are a lot of good offensive linemen that have come out of the state. So they do have to look elsewhere, which makes it a little bit more difficult. There's a ton more skill type players that come out of Virginia. Uh, 757 produces much more top, top end defensive talent, cornerbacks and defensive linemen, not offensive linemen. So it makes the challenge a little bit tricky. And I think, uh, Fuente, Fuente, I believe is able to mitigate that need, uh, right now. Like I think he can work around not having a, a stellar offensive line. French wrote about this. I, you know, I believe it too, uh, before he kind of penned a column on it, but yeah, I think Fuente is a good enough offensive mind that he can, he can work around his offensive line, not being dominant. Like he won a bunch of games at Memphis and his offensive line was easily the weakest part of his offense. If you watch the games, you know, however, you're going to get into a situation where you're in the ACC championship playing against Clemson. You need to pick up two yards on third down. Right. And at that point, you have to have offensive linemen that can win in the trenches. If, if Virginia Tech has designs on winning a conference championship or being anything more than a team that shows up for the conference championship game, if they want to win hardware, they need better offensive lines and they need better offensive linemen. That's all there is to it. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to argue around that if you look at what Clemson has done. I think the talent that that Clemson has picked up at defensive back has been similar to what we have. At cornerback has been similar to what we have. Wide receiver, they've been probably a little bit, well, a couple couple notches above (laughs) what Virginia Tech has had at the wide receiver position. They running back. I, in our heyday, we probably actually had better running backs than Clemson has has shown in in that. But in comparing comparing us to like that type of team, I think that's their offensive line and their defensive line. Um, for us at times is I don't I don't think like this year I don't think I can't remember a defensive line that we've had that compares to what Clemson is about to return after losing two starters. And they're recruiting at such a high level that their offensive line is solid after just losing, what, three people on their offensive line. Their defensive line just lost two starters, and they're still going to put back another. Yeah, they might be better this year. And that, I guess, to round out this whole point is that's where you make it and they figured out a way to start recruiting at a higher level than us and if we want to get to that sort of level to be on their level we need to get back to one on the running game to be where we used to be two we have to have an offensive and defensive line that's pulling in four stars when we're really pulling in three stars and our offensive line is nowhere nowhere close to I think where they are yeah and I think that getting the skill position talent first I, i'd almost want to take a look at what clemson did under davo when he actually started building his program up because i think getting those talented offensive linemen comes down the road once you've like started becoming a name brand i think the 
I think getting really explosive skill players is the way to become like a household name, right? Like football and college football, especially now is such an offensive sport that no one cares about line play. No one really even cares about stellar defensive play. People like numbers. They like stats. They like touchdowns. They like, you know, 400 yard passing days. That's, that's what catches the attention of, of the casual fan of recruits. Uh, so the, the, the talent that Fuente's bringing in lends itself to making a name for Virginia Tech. And I think what he's going to have to do is he's going to have to, one, actually execute on that and make a name for the program. And then, you know, actually leverage that and double down on it. I think that was like kind of a shortcoming of Frank Beamer is, you know, Frank Beamer had Michael Vick and one of the most exciting programs in the country and I don't think he really capitalized on it he, to the extent that he could have. Yes, he won a bunch of AC championships, but he never parlayed it into that you know proverbial next step. Fuente's a really long way away from that, but if he brings keeps bringing in these skill players and he can still mitigate the offensive line, it's like, yeah, I don't think Tech's anywhere near ready to compete for an ACC championship right now. They're just not as good as Florida State, not as good as Clemson. They're probably not anywhere near as good as Louisville right now either, but they are bringing in talent that is exciting. Yeah. And so if they can keep making the program exciting, keep making it relevant, they got to then keep bringing in the bigger name players. It's a process. This isn't... It takes it's still, time. It's, exactly, exactly. And I think last year was such a blip that I think Fuente probably did himself a bit of a disservice with winning 10 games. <laughs> he probably he raised, did. I agree. He raised expectations a lot sooner. No, than, he absolutely did himself a disservice yeah. because now everybody's expecting... Something, but that that's okay. Doesn't it's okay because it helps the recruiting, and the whole thing is that will speed up the process. I know maybe next year if he only wins eight or seven games, clearly that will have a factor. It's like, oh well, you won ten, and now you only won seven, and people will be mad. But I think overall, the guys he's bringing in this recruiting class because of that ten win season will speed up the process. And to Joe's point about the skill talent. Sammy Watkins at Clemson, how much did he do for that program? As a freshman, when he came in, it blew the doors off, everything Clemson had done. Clemson was always that school that was like, they're going to be good this year. They're going to be good this year. And they sucked, and they sucked, and they sucked. And that's where Clemson came from. But eventually, they did get Dabo, and they had Sammy Watkins, and they had Nuck Hopkins and Taj Boyd. And it started as like, holy shit, Like they have these skill players, and – all of a sudden, people were noticing them, and Sammy Watkins was really the difference maker to me. It, it probably made like ten other guys commit to that school was just that one player, and that's who you need. You need that transcendent skill talent. You need that transcendent QB that puts you on the map, like Vic did for us. Yeah, good good players want to play with other good players. I think that's very underrated in recruiting. But all these, from my experience of interviewing high school kids and coaches is that's definitely true is like good talent wants to play with good talent like these kids don't want to go play on bad teams because they're used to not doing that and they're getting to make a choice of you know do you want to play on a bad team that may be your home state team or do you want to play on a powerhouse team and i think i know i'd want to play on the powerhouse team and i think a lot of them if not most of them do too so i mean the more virginia tech can do to could just blow teams out to show that they're dominant is going to attract um, name brands and you know blue chip players to the program and then Fuente and his staff just have to get them to sign yeah you have to win 
that's what it yes. recruits. Yeah. You said they want to play with the best. They want to play with other yep. good players. Like you have to win your coach being Dabo or Sabin or Fuente and their Urban Meyer, their various personalities. It's about winning. Let's talk about this upcoming season before we let Joe go here. We played WVU yes. game one. It's obviously something that me, you, and Robbie experienced in the heyday being at Tech when we were playing WVU every year and it just being the one of the biggest games on the schedule no matter how good either team was. Mm-hmm. How much are you looking forward to beating WVU on Labor Day weekend? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I think a win against WVU would be very, very satisfying for a, a plethora of reasons. Uh least of which is is their fan base watching them lose is is awesome yes i think i don't i don't want tech to lose that damn black diamond trophy for any extended period of time i want them to keep that and i just think tech is a better team like i think if they lose this game i'm not sure what those if they're if they've come up with lines yet but i would probably say tech is close to a touchdown favorite right now i saw Um, a uh three and a half to tech Three and a half. Okay, yeah. So it's close. So Will Will Greer is a hell of a quarterback. So that's going to be the tough thing to see, like how Foster matches up uh, against Greer. And I think uh, Daniel Holgerson is also, you know, a very brilliant offensive mind. He's a heck of a quarterback coach. He, you know, uh, his offensive scheme is just wide open. Um, you know, Mike Leach disciple. Like he knows how to spread it out, the air raid, and and air the ball out. So. Uh, that's going to be a very interesting matchup for the first game of the year. I feel like I feel like if Tech comes out and they do not put up points, like if they come out and like do what they did against Syracuse and they just can't fucking move the football at all, they're going to get they're going to get worked. They have to really keep up in the scoring department. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how well you know the Hokies defense. I think someone on on, on the website said this is the best secondary Virginia Tech's had. And yeah, there's a ton of defensive talent, but I mean, like, we're going to see how good they are defensively. We thought we had a, you know, Tech thought they had a bunch of defensive talent in the past, and then they lost to ECU a bunch of times to, yep. a, to a very similar system yep. to much less talented players. So we'll see. I would say about the, the defense, and I think it's going to be elite. I do worry about what we're going to put up on offense. West Virginia lost a ton on their D, too, so... Me and Robbie had a conversation not too long ago when we were previewing this game that I think it's going to be both Will Greer and whoever is playing quarterback for us just running the whole time. Like That's going to be the theme of the game. Yes, they will drop back to pass here and there, but we're going to see Will Greer attempting to run against our defense and Tremaine Edmonds, and you're going to see us attempting to run against their defense and their spur linebacker, which is their best player. And he's, I think it's because you're white. In any case, this could be a high scoring game. I think it could be like oddly high scoring. It could get into like the 27 to 31 type range. I do think our defense shouldn't allow that many points, but it's early in the year. You, you just don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's going to be very high scoring. I think, we're talking like a 40 35 oh, affair. Damn. Like I think it's going to be real. I think we're getting into shootout territory here cuz I don't know. Like I think the defense of the starting 11, Tech starting 11 are very very good, but West Virginia runs a ton of plays too. And if they have to cycle in those backup defensive linemen, I'm a very skeptical about how they hold up. 
that 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 worries me. I think that's I think that's a West Virginia. I think West Virginia really has to keep pace of play high and hope that Tech cycles in some of their reserves. And yeah, that, that's well for me. That's what I would for do. me, it's about the Edmonds brothers. I mean, that's the thing that's going to make this defense go this year. I know Motu Puaka is our our middle linebacker, and that's where you draw your source of power in a lot of things. Like, but Tremaine Edmonds on the outside linebacker and Terrell at free safety, they are going to take our defense to the next level this year, in my personal opinion. They are both so good and so aggressive. And some that aggression, we haven't seen a lot of times. I mean, Terrell nearly got himself kicked out of three games last year. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that you need aggressive defensive players. And when Tech was at their best, that's what we had. We had nine of them on the field at once. You know, I just hope that the defensive line in the middle we're going to be fine. As long as Mahota and Hill are healthy, I think we'll be fine there. I think West Virginia could have a harder time scoring than you think. That Robbie, what what are your thoughts? I think I I think it Greer is going to be the question mark. That's what we don't know. I mean, we've seen him for what four games he played five games that he played at Florida. Yeah. And I think he was just, yeah. half the season that's, or something. Yeah. That's but he was an elite type of talent. No, yeah, I mean he was a five star right that came into Florida. I think he got five star status and. He played against what I said earlier. He played against Florida has elite defensive back talent. So it's not like he was practicing against a bunch of sleps and then he was just like kind of, you know, figuring it out. I just, I, I don't know. I know West Virginia has two to three people on the outside that I'm actually kind of scared of, but they're, they're, Overall talent, I'm just I'm not sure. I think it lines up actually pretty well. They don't know what they're getting out of their QB except for the fact that he was an elite talent coming out of high school and then he played pretty well in what five games against nobody. I mean, who'd they play? They, they, they the... had they had a couple decent people on the schedule, but I, I know what you're saying. They didn't play anybody. They what was the I think they played the greatest... Tennessee. I think they played Mississippi State. I, there was a couple of SEC teams that they played in those first six games of that year that he showed himself to be worthy. And also, if you watch his film, like he was making reads, he was running all over the place. Like it was enough to worry me. I'll say that. Right. I, I don't. No, I totally agree with that. I just don't think he faced a Bud Foster type defense in any of those games. That he absolutely went up not. No. So I think it's going to be. It's a who knows. I think it's there's no way it's really hard to those two teams. They're different conferences. They're different teams. They're different like uh, they're different like ways of going about playing the game. And I'm not sure that anybody has any fucking clue what's going to end up happening in that game. Yeah. For as much credit as we're going to give Fuente, like I'm going to give a very equal amount of credit to Dana Holgerson. Oh, come on, Joe. <laughs> uh, I think they're both. I think Holgerson's a heck of an offensive coach, uh, not a heck of a quarterbacks coach. Like I think he's a very, very good coach. Um, in 2014, West Virginia opened against Alabama. I think that was a neutral site game, and they nearly put up 400 yards of offense on them um, without Will Greer. So I think I'm going to give Holgerson. I think I think to write off Holgerson is a mistake. Like I think Holgerson is a very competent offensive coach and he can put a scheme together. Um, I am interested in how Matua Puaka will play in this game. 
I think he is someone that last year Foster had to hide a little bit in the defense, and it's going to be very interesting to see if West Virginia tries to pick on him um, with combo routes and how the chess how match. he exactly the chess match. Because I, I I I think I think I'm the only one here saying that Holgerson's a good coach, but I do believe he's a, <laughs> I do I no, do believe I think, he's a very good well. Coach. First of all, we're all saying Holgerson's a good coach. No, Otherwise, I'm not. I'm not know, with his that. lack. <laughs> yeah, he's Pete, oh, he's very anti. Big, you're an idiot. <laughs> no, I just despite his lack of hair and whatever the, he has going over a top, he's definitely a good coach. He's actually Holgerson is what Buzz's hair is going to progress into. <laughs> you <laughs> know, if we're talking hair, we should talk about we should talk about how Bud Foster's hair has made a nice oh, transition. Oh, this is a good hair. This is like PTI here. We should have Tony Kornheiser <laughs> yeah. as a guest. Now, Bud Foster's hair has changed a little bit. I like it. He grow, I think he's grown it out, good. though. He's grown it out. It looks out. sexy as fuck. <laughs> he, his hair looks... Bud's hair... Bud knows what he's doing with his hair. He does. You can tell that Bud Bud had a plan in mind when he grew his hair out. He was like, you know what? I need to get some hair, more hair on my head. I'm done with the buzz cut. I'm getting a little bit older. It's coming in a little bit gray, and I want to show off my wisdom and my age a little bit. And he knew what he was doing. He looks good. He just didn't. Gr- yeah, he, yeah. Bud knew what he was getting into. Again, Buzz Buzz grew it out, and then he's trying to formulate that. Buzz is like a, when you have a kid, and you don't you you just like kind of have one. You're like, oh yeah, I'll figure out how we're gonna do all this, and then you get the kid, and you're like, ooh, uh, you know, it's there. You know, everyone's like, oh, it looks it's good. You have a kid now. So a little bit of a different approach. I like it. I like it. I have a kid now. So <laughs> That's true. Robbie well. does have a kid now, and he's just figuring out. I should probably feed this. All right, and- so now <laughs> I'm going to grab a beer because we have to do our second one. Okay. Trying. All right, Robbie, uh, what are you drinking over there, man? Uh, Wicked Weed, uh, their IPA that just got bought out by InBev. So people are not a big fan of them, but I had had I didn't have a Wicked Weed beer before they got bought out, which is kind of embarrassing. And I decided to go with this one. It showed up at my local beer shop, the Pernicus. It's all right. It's not great. I think a lot of people have a lot of high expectations for Wicked Weed and what they will become after they got bought out by Anheuser-Busch, basically. And so far, I haven't had anything out of them that that's, is that great. All right. I am drinking the Clown Shoes Mango. Uh, it's an American Kolsch with a little bit of a mango twist. Robbie's had a bunch of Clown Shoes beers on the podcast before, and they make great beer. So I was eager to try this one. It's very good. And obviously, right now, if it has pineapple or orange or mango or any of those fruity type flavors, like you'll see it in every beer store everywhere. This one's okay. It's not amazing. It's pretty good. I like Kolsch's in general, but this mango Kolsch by Clown Shoes, I'm 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 waving my hands side to side. It's a uh, eh. In any case, it's the mango by uh, Clown Shoes Beer Company, American Kolsch. Joe, what are you drinking? I am drinking. A 16-ounce Blue Ribbon winner, <laughs> a Pabst Blue Ribbon, established in Milwaukee, 1844. The hits just keep on coming. I like it. I like it. <laughs> this is the original reserve mark, Pabst the- Blue Ribbon beer. Nature's choicest products provide its prestige flavor, 
Only the finest of hops and grains are used. Selected as America's best in 1893. Joe pulled that right off the top of his memory right there, too. So that's what's really impressive. About 130 years ago, it was uh, deemed the best beer ever. So I guess it must still be the best beer ever. Has anyone else... Did uh, the Clown Shoes beer win the Blue Ribbon? Did I... You know what? This mango clown shoes beer, it has not won a blue ribbon. Wicked Wicked Weeds, the sellout beer over there, did they win the blue ribbon? (laughs) No. I don't think Pabst. They didn't. I don't think Pabst Blue Ribbon sold out anywhere. There you go. Mm. All right. So, Joe, I need to ask you your prediction (laughs) for the WVU game after all that. All that nonsense. Well, and the season as a whole. He hasn't given that either. Well, give me the WVU and then give me a record for the year. Hmm. Do you want like a point total, or or what? What would you like? Do you think we're gonna win? W L. This is all W L. Win loss, and then we're, win this loss is an easy grading season. scale. Do I think Tech will beat WVU? Yes. In, yes, Woo! but I wouldn't be surprised if they lost. I'll go with no, a yes. First of all, the, all right. Then give a score, since evidently he's trying to find a way out of. This. Now I got to give a score. Yeah, well, because you said they. I wouldn't be surprised if they lost. I but wouldn't I be. Really, it wouldn't be. It's the first game of the year. Give us a Pick margin. A, score. a margin or a score? A margin. They're the same thing. They're just relative. Well, whatever. <laughs> Okay. Um, they're the same thing. If it's a six-point score, it just depends on whether it's... If they're winning, it's just a matter of what it's going to be a win by. All right. I will say a two-point tech win. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I like it. Now, That's on exactly the season, what I would have picked. The Coastal uh-huh. is looking a little bit weaker than it has... Actually, most years it's weak, but last year was pretty good. So, where mm-hmm. are you thinking that we're going to end up overall? Um, you want me just to go down through the schedule and I could say win sure, or loss? Sure, sure. All right. We already said West Virginia would be a two-point win. Let's go Delaware is a win. I think East Carolina is a win. I think Old Dominion's a win. I think Clemson's a loss. I think Boston College is a win. I think North Carolina's a win. The six and, and one. Duke is probably a win. Seven and one. Uh, now down here in the stretch, I'm gonna say that Miami's a loss. Okay. I'm gonna say that Georgia Tech's a loss. Ooh. I'm gonna say Pittsburgh is a win, and I'm gonna say Virginia's a win. Nine and three. Nine and three. He picked. He picked my same record. Mm. Well, you should give your. You should go through the schedule and give it with the margins instead. Instead of wins and losses. It's hard. It's hard. I know. We, the thing is, me and Robbie have done the predictions on the records like four times already. Um, so There's really like the, only... I mean, realistically, there's only three games that you really need to think about. That like, Well, you hope of, that you If everything played about. out as expected, there's three games that could go either direction. That's what you got to no, think about. Um, That's what kind of screws everything I actually, up. I actually only think there's two. I would actually say Clemson and Miami are the two games that give me the most thought. I just no don't, Georgia Tech, Pitt, I, Pitt. I mean, come on. I don't. I think yeah. I would say Georgia Tech. I was so if no, I had Pitt's to go, a win. By the way, if I had to go through this and say like, if the games that would be toss ups on the schedule, I think I think Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh are the toss ups, and I just picked them to beat Pittsburgh and lose to Georgia Tech based on home yeah, or away. Yeah. Okay. Um, North Carolina is probably also a toss up too. 
All right, so let's they can't play football. Let's let's get into our last couple things. One, I want to talk to Joe about the key play happy hour that he mentioned on Twitter a couple days ago. He said it was four weeks away, which I am perceiving that to be the Friday before Labor Day. Is that correct, Joe? Uh, no, I think the Friday be the Friday before the 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 Friday before Labor Day, the week before. So two Fridays before uh, okay, Labor Day. Okay, okay, okay. Well, yeah. when you get the date, tweet it out. But what are maybe maybe I did maybe I did the wrong math there. <laughs> the Friday before the Friday. What are the details of the <laughs> TKP happy hour for the preseason situation? Uh, well, every year we just go to first down in Arlington. If you're in Northern Virginia, and we just get crunk, basically. <laughs> that was a really good description of the details. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's just a good time. We meet. There's a lot of alcohol. Yeah. We drink, <laughs> drink beers yeah. and bourbon. Wow, that was amazing. Wow, I can't wait to we go. We talk about West Virginia. We'll probably talk about West Virginia. We'll probably. French will be mapping out French, plays. French, on French will be there. French will be there. There's French will be there. Alcohol. French will be there describing plays. That's a highlight of it. Um, All right, why don't you tell us what you got going on at the site? You got the Key Players Club. They've reached. This is more serious. They've reached on a recent mark that was important. You're You've up. had some AMAs. What's what's the site future? Uh, t- give us a little bit of background on TKP. Oh man, I don't know. You can really get. I could really go down the rabbit hole here, but um, yeah. So the Key Players Club is if 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 you want to support the website financially, it's basically a way to do that. And you get a keychain bottle opener, a little uh, emoji next to your name on the website, and a and a uh, sticker in the mail and now there's some articles that we're making only available to the key players club mostly because of a way to kind of catch people's attention uh with it so i think kind of the easiest way to catch someone's attention that i've learned in doing this is that they go to try to read something and then they can't and then they learn about the key players club and that's been really successful for us um so yeah so that's basically it is you know we're an independent website we want to cover virginia tech football and athletics the best we can and to do that we need money so that's a way to to bring in money so what's the end game for the key play oh man uh the end game for the key play is is to, i really i don't think it's the end game but the next step is i really want to hire someone full-time i mean right. i think that would be the uh the next step i mean i think the end game would be having a key play at another website which i think is really hard to do because i think the people who cover the website for us are very unique so what, do it. what I don't think a lot of people know about the key play, which I've enjoyed knowing is that they are, they're tied in and can go into all of the interviews or anything like that for all of the, the hooky football, like coaches and things like that. And I, I never appreciated how much access that they have right into the hooky, like actual team, which we have nothing. We're uh, on our side. We're just like kind of, reverberating a lot of things that are are out there they do a great job and it's it's amazing what you guys have done more people should be joining it and if you want to keep getting access to all the interviews all the things that french does on you know evaluating what's going to happen with the team that year keep Become a member, I guess, is the best way to, to, yeah, we're to trying support to, that. I think we're trying to get to a thousand. That would be like the goal to basically be able to support someone full time. Because uh yeah. I don't think people realize that like 
it's when you multiply a thousand times 84 you're like wow beat writers make a lot of money and it's like well you got to pay taxes on both ends and all this other uh kind of bs that goes along with it and it becomes a lot less a lot less it becomes a very close to a livable wage for a beat writer to do it and i think if we do actually hit that mark which we might um i think what we do with it will be a lot different than what um it wouldn't be a very traditional beat writer role. It would be someone, I always said it would be someone that would work for the community. So those who, you know, the people who read the website, if they want to have someone that they could say, Hey, go do this. You know, I'm, I'm interested in this. If we get enough people that are interested in something, then I would have, have that person, you know, be working for, for you type of thing. So I think we can turn it. I have some ideas about what it could be. So if you've, if you've trusted the judgment that I've had for the website for the last, like seven or eight years that would be the next evolution of it but until we get to that point i think i think everything's going well and it's going to be a very successful season in terms of what we have planned for coverage joe you are a very welcome guest and i don't think we left any stone unturned i think we did pretty good make sure if you haven't already subscribe to the podcast and join the key players club joe is only a few hundred short of his thousand person goal. And once they get to a thousand, they can employ someone to work for them at the key play. And that would be huge. They're already halfway there and that's monumental. So make sure you subscribe to our podcast and join the key players club, both of which will keep you very informed on the Virginia tech Hokies. Otherwise just wait for the season guys. We're getting so close, man. I can't fucking wait. Go Hokies.